Forever Dog. Welcome to Forever Dog. You can listen to this podcast ad-free on Forever Dog Plus by signing up at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on social at Forever Dog Team and check out all of our podcasts at foreverdogpodcasts.com. Thank you for your support and enjoy the show. Forever Dog. Welcome to Public Domain Theater with Kelly Nugent, Lindsay K. Tai. Reading. Oh, you know, I thought that we had a guest and I was waiting to, to say the name. No, I could tell. That did not, the person does not exist because it is just you and I in the room. Indeed. We're reading The New Dress by Virginia Woolf. And I am doing an intro now. <laughs> Welcome to Public Domain Theater, the podcast of highbrow readings with lowbrow commentary. I am one of your hosts, Lindsay Katai. I'm another one of your hosts, Kelly Nugent. And as Kelly said, today we are reading a Virginia Woolf Wolf. tale. What's it called? The New Dress. The New Dress. Um, so it's just me and you today. We don't have a, a little guestino. It's true. Mm-hmm. And we have something to talk about. Yeah, we have a, an announcement. It's a little bittersweet. Um, but yeah, it, but necessary. Ne- absolutely necessary. Um. So the announcement is uh, we will be ending this podcast. Yeah. Um, We're going to be ending it after our 50th episode, which will be next week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're going to be having guest Nick Weiger. Yeah. Reading We Don't Know What. Reading We Don't Know What. Um, And it's just because um, we've been feeling a little bit. um, We have a lot. Yeah. Like just like a little bit spread thin. Uh and, And we want Teen Creeps was our first child and therefore the most loved. Um, so we're just gonna go ahead and kill our second. We'll kill our second uh, because we, yeah, we want to re redouble our efforts mm-hmm. with Teen Creeps. Yeah, uh, we really, really believe in Teen Creeps, and um, and it is a something that we think has a lot of potential, and it has a yeah. lot of really cool places that it can go. And in order for us to uh, shine that pearl as shiny as it can get. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into the Teen Creeps ocean. Mm-hmm. Are you enjoying what you've started? I'm gonna talk like this for the rest of the, the episode. Um, and yeah, yeah. We, we just want to like give our everything to Teen Creeps and be able to. Not that we don't believe in this podcast, but oh, uh, we believe if, in it. If we had the time and energy, um, for both, we would keep. Doing yeah, for both. sure. Um, and we think if public domain theater were our only podcast, we could really make that great, but we don't want to spread ourselves too thin. So we're, we're bidding it a fond farewell. Yeah. It has been really, really fun. We've really and loved I am doing sad it. to say goodbye to it. I am sad to say goodbye as but well. But it is necessary. It is necessary. And, um, like, so for me, it's bittersweet because I'm sad to say goodbye to public domain, but it also like reinvigorates me for you know thoughts about what we can do with teen creeps and i'm excited for that uh like the possibilities there yeah um we had a lot of good times we did when we were starting it i was like really nervous to say to make the announcement i felt like it was like when you're telling someone you're breaking up with them (laughs) i felt very like all right um we have something to talk about um yeah it's like um okay so it's not like we we still love you Mm -hmm. but we're not 
in love with you. Mm-hmm. This hurts. It's yeah. it's like when someone like texts you and they're like, "Can we? Can you talk?" And then they immediately call you, and you're like, "Fuck! What is this? Yeah, I didn't even somebody's respond. Dead. Oh my god!" And they're like, "Hey, um, I'm just not feeling public domain theater anymore." <laughs> <laughs> no, we do love this show. Yeah, not that we're not feeling it, but we. It's, yeah. it's purely a time thing. Um, it is hard to record for four hours straight every week yeah and the way our schedules especially, are is that yeah. it has to be that way yeah so that's the thing that sucks and especially when like we have reading to do for the other podcast yeah it takes yeah. up a lot of time it does mm-hmm. uh so we're very sorry to make this announcement but yeah. we hope that you guys understand and we really loved spending the time that we did with you guys yeah. and um and if you liked us on this podcast please join us over on teen creeps mm-hmm. if you don't already listen yeah um, you get to know a lot more fun. about us. Yeah, we're uh, we share a lot of personal things, personal biological that don't things have about a place ourselves. in this one. Yeah, personal and biological. <laughs> um, it's true. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it doesn't matter that you haven't read the book. No, that's what like so many listeners say that like it does not matter if you haven't read yeah, the book because, as we also say on the podcast, probably every week. Please don't read the books. Yeah. We don't wish that on Unless anyone. it's a, a standout good book. Yeah. And we'll tell you if you uh, should read the book. But most of the time, Mostly you no. don't have to. Um, and yeah, so I do like that this podcast was keeping me a little bit more cultured. But, you know, it's yeah. just it's just the way the wind blows. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of at a loss for words because I want I want to convey how much I loved this podcast and how much like what a good concept I think it is and how great it worked out just every episode and what amazing guests we have mm-hmm. and how much we laughed recording yeah. these episodes. Um, and But then also convey that like it makes a lot of sense for us to stop. It sucks. Yeah, it, is, it does really suck. And I totally I echo your sentiments. I I, I loved doing this show. I love doing this show, uh, and we got to uh, meet and talk to and read with a lot of really fun people, mm-hmm. um, and have a lot of fun uh, making the show. Yeah, um, and we'll have those people on Teen Creeps. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. So yeah, a lot of those people that you loved listening to on this show are also like our go to people for Teen Creeps. Yeah. So stick Join that in your there. pocket. Um, Stick that in your pocket and have it in there. That's the phrase. As it goes. Uh, so, Virginia Hulf, what do you know about VW? Possibly gay for her sister. Killed herself by putting a bunch of rocks in her jacket and going into a river. That's about what I know. Uh-huh. Okay, when do you think she was born? Mm. You gonna miss this? Mm. I bet I will. Oh, am I going to miss guessing? Yeah. I get it now. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, are you going to miss It took me a while to understand guess. what you were saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. I am going to miss that. Because um, you are good at it. Two out of four digits every time. 1883. <gasps> Lindsay, 1882. What? Shut the fuck up. Wow. wow. Oh, my God. You did so good. Okay. Okay. When did she <laughs> Thank die? Thank you for being so excited yes, for me. I'm so excited. Okay. When did mm. she die? 1927. Not 
Not great. at all close. Not great. 1941. But, you know, I Basically think the same you, thing. you're still riding on the coattails of that 1882 Thank you. guess. A lot of goodwill. Ooh. All right. So Wolf is considered one of the most important modernist 20th century authors and a pioneer in the use of stream of consciousness as a narrative device. Oh. She was born into an affluent household in South Kensington, London, the seventh child in a blended family of eight. Her mother, Julia Jackson, celebrated as a pre-Raphaelite artist's model, had three children from her first marriage. Her father, Leslie Stephen, a notable man of letters, had one previous daughter. Their marriage produced another four children, including the modernist painter Vanessa Bell. Wow, the whole family. Yeah. While the boys in the family were educated at university, the girls were homeschooled in, in-, in English classics and Victorian literature. Uh, Wolf's childhood came to an abrupt end in 1895 with the death of her mother and her first mental breakdown, followed two years later by the death of her stepsister and surrogate mother, Stella Mm. Duckworth. She began writing professionally in 1900, encouraged by her father, whose death in 1905 was the cause of another breakdown. Stop it. Following the death, the family moved from Kensington to the more bohemian Bloomsbury, where they adopted a free-spirited lifestyle. Spirited. It was there that in conjunction with their brother's intellectual friends, they formed the artistic and literary Bloomsbury Group. Mm. Never heard of them. 1912. <laughs> Wolf married Leonard Wolf. And in <laughs> 1917, they founded the Hogarth Press, which published much of her work. During the interwar period, Wolf was an important part of London's literary and artistic society. Her best known works include the novels Mrs. Dalloway, To the Lighthouse, and Orlando. She is also known for her essays, including A Room of One's Own, in which she wrote the much-quoted dictum, a woman must have money in a room of her own if she is to write fiction. That's true. Throughout her life, <laughs> makes Wolf, it easier. It does make it a lot easier. Wolf was troubled by bouts of mental illness, which included being institutionalized and attempting suicide. Her illness is considered to have been bipolar disorder, for which there was no effective intervention at the time. Eventually, in 1941, here it is. She committed suicide by putting rocks in her pockets and drowning herself in the river Ouse. Ouse? Ouse. At the age of 59. Mm. Wow, sad. Very sad. This story, The New Dress, was written in 1924 whilst Wolf Wolf was writing Mrs. Dalloway, which was published the following year. It is possible it was originally to have been a chapter in the novel because the two share some characters and events. Interesting. Oh, shared universe. This is the uh, the great shared universe of wolf stories. <laughs> the wolf verse. Wolf verse, as they call it. <laughs> the wolf cinematic universe. Yep. A haunted house and other short stories. Oh, I guess this is one of the other short stories by Renee Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> the new dress. Mabel had her first serious suspicion that something was wrong as she took her cloak off and Mrs. Barnett, while handing her the mirror and touching the brushes and thus drawing her attention, perhaps rather markedly, to all the appliances for tidying and improving hair, complexion, clothes, which existed on the dressing table, confirmed the suspicion that it was not right, not quite right, which growing stronger as she went upstairs and springing at her with conviction as she greeted Clarissa Dalloway. She went straight to the far end of the room to a shaded corner where a looking glass hung and looked. No, it was not right. And at once, the misery which she had always tried to hide, the profound dissatisfaction, the sense she had ever since she was a child of being inferior to other people set upon her. 
relentlessly, remorselessly, with an intensity which she could not beat off, <laughs> beat off. as <laughs> she would when she woke at night at home <laughs> by reading Barrow or Scott. For, oh, these men, oh, these women were all thinking, what's Mabel wearing? What a fright she looks. What a hideous new dress. Their eyelids flickering as they came up and their lids shutting rather tight. It was her own appalling inadequacy, her cowardice, her mean water-sprinkled blood that depressed her. And at once, the whole of the room where forever so many hours she had planned with the little dressmaker how it was to go seemed sordid, repulsive, and her own drawing room so shabby and herself going out, puffed up with vanity as she touched the letters on the hall table and said, how dull to show off. All this now seemed unutterably silly, paltry, and provincial. Provincial. Yeah, I'm going to say bipolar. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just, just she from was this. bipolar. Mm -hmm. All this had been completely destroyed, shown up, exploded the moment she came into Mrs. Dalloway's drawing room. What she had thought that evening, when sitting over the teacups, Mrs. Dalloway's invitation came, was that, of course... She could not be fashionable. It was absurd to pre pretend it even. Fashion meant cut, meant style, meant 30 guineas at least. But why not be original? Why not be herself anyhow? And getting up, she had taken that old-fashioned book of her mother's, a Paris fashion book of the same time of the empire, and had thought how much prettier, more dignified, and more womanly they were then, and so set herself, now oh, it was foolish, trying to be like them, pluming herself in fact, upon being modest and old-fashioned and very charming, giving herself up, no doubt about it, to an orgy of self-love, which deserved to be chastised and so rigged herself out like this. But she dared not look in the glass. She could not face the whole horror. The pale yellow, idiotically old-fashioned silk dress with, with its long skirt and its high sleeves and its waist and all the things that looked so charming in the fashion book, but not on her, not among all these ordinary people. She felt like a dressmaker's dummy standing there for young people to stick pins into. It's me at Zara. <laughs> <laughs> but my dear, it's... Oh, I'm sorry. But my dear, it's perfectly charming, Rose Shaw said, looking her up and down with that little satirical pucker of the lips, which she expected. Yeah, fuck you, Rose Shaw. Rose Shaw. Shaw. bitch. Rose herself being dressed in the height of the fashion, precisely like Classic everybody Rose. else. Always. We are all like flies trying to crawl over the edge of the saucer, Mabel thought. Mabel, you are yeah, a she is depressed. edgelord. <laughs> and repeated the phrase as if she were crossing herself, as if she were trying to find some spell to annul this pain, to make this agony endurable. Tags of Shakespeare, lines from books she had read ages ago, suddenly came to her when she was in agony, and she repeated them over and over again. Flies trying to crawl, she repeated. If she could say that over often enough to make herself see the flies, she would become numb, chill, frozen, dumb. Now she could see flies crawling slowly out of a saucer of milk with their wings stuck together, and she strained and strained, standing in front of the looking glass, listening to Rose Shaw, to make herself see Rose Shaw and all the other people there as flies, trying to hoist themselves out of something or into something. She meager. thought to herself, is that Jeff Goldblum in the corner? <laughs> <laughs> meager, insignificant, toiling flies. But she could not see them like that, not other people. She saw herself like that. She was a fly, but others were dragonflies, butterflies, beautiful insects, dancing, fluttering, skimming, while she alone dragged herself up out of the saucer. I can't make fun of this. I know, this is I sad no and jokes good. over here. It's, it's so a, good. Well, it's Virginia Woolf and she's a good writer and this is sad and well written. Yeah. <laughs> 
envy and, and I relate to yeah. it. How am I supposed to? I feel attacked. God damn it, Brett. Envy and spite. That's what I'm mad about this episode. Ah, The most detestable of the vices were her chief faults. I feel like some dowdy, decrepit, horribly dingy old fly, she said, making Robert Hayden stop just to hear her say that, just to reassure herself by furbishing up a poor, weak-kneed phrase and so showing how detached she was, how witty, that she did not feel in the least out of anything. And of course, Robert Hayden answered something, quite polite, quite insincere, which she saw through instantly, and said to herself, directly he went again from some book, lies, lies, lies. For a party makes things either much more real or much less real, she thought. She saw in a flash to the bottom of Robert Hayden's heart. She saw through everything. She saw the truth. This was true. This drawing room, this self, and the other false. Miss Milan's little workroom was really terribly hot, stuffy, sordid. It smelled of clothes and cabbage cooking. And yet, when Miss Milan put the glass in her hand and she looked at herself with the dress on, finished, an extraordinary bliss shot through her heart. Suffused with light, she sprang into existence. Rid of cares and wrinkles, what she had dreamed of herself was there. A beautiful woman just for a second. She had not dared look longer. Miss Milan wanted to know about the length of the skirt. There looked at her, framed in the scrolloping mahogany. A great scrolloping. A gray-white, mysteriously smiling, charming girl. The core of herself. The soul of herself. And it was not vanity only. Not only self-love that made her think it good, tender, and true. Miss Milan said that the skirt could not well be longer. If anything, the skirt, said Miss Milan puckering her forehead, considering with all her wits about her, must be shorter. And she felt suddenly, honestly, full of love for Miss Milan, much, much fonder of Miss Milan than of anyone in the whole world, and could have cried for pity that she should be crawling on the floor with her mouth full of pins and her face bright red and eyes bulging, that one human being should be doing this for another. Yeah, she bipolar. (laughs) And she saw them all as human beings merely, and herself going off to her party and Miss Milan pulling the cover over the canary's cage, or letting him pick a hemp seed from between her lips. Bestiality! And the thought of it, of this side of human nature and its patience and its endurance and its being content with such miserable, scanty, sordid little pleasures filled her eyes with tears. And now the whole thing had vanished. The dress, the room, the love, the pity, the scrolloping looking glass, and the canary's cage. All had vanished, and here she was in a corner of Mrs. Dalloway's drawing room, suffering tortures, woken wide awake to reality. But it was also paltry, weak-blooded and petty-minded to care so much at her age with two children, to be still so utterly dependent on people's opinions and not have principles or convictions, not to be able to say as other people did, there's Shakespeare, there's death, we're all weevils in a captain's biscuit, or whatever it was that people said. I love that phrase. I love that one. We're all just a bunch of weevils in our captain's biscuit. What's a weevil? Hold on. It's like a worm. It's a worm? I think it's a beetle. Beetle. Yeah, what you said. Well, it's a beetle. It's a worm beetle, and that's why it's a weevil. Oh, I thought those were potato bugs. I know weevils. Oh, they're potato bugs? You've seen these. Yeah. It's just like little, not roly-polies, but they're like common. I've seen them. Ooh, rice weevil! Stop it! Mine enemy! No! Look at it, it's long. It's long. It's long. It's long. This one has a little nose. Ah, you showed me. Anyway, what is with that nose? It's got a little penis on its face. That's the curculionid. Neotetina, I charge it. just a bunch of curculionid and a captain's basket. Big thanks to our sponsor, bugguide.net. For all your weevil-related questions, <laughs> visit bugguy.net. Promo code 
public domain. <laughs> public bug guy. <laughs> oh, weevils. Oh, captain's biscuits. Captain's biscuits. Well, it's a captain's biscuit. Hold on. Now I need to see what a I think it's biscuit. just a biscuit. No, Lindsay. I think it's a worm. It's the king of biscuits, Captain. Oh, look biscuit. at the nose on that biscuit. Oh, it's hard tack. What? It's just, ugh, what? Yeah, it's like the gross biscuits you eat on a ship or something. It's the Abernathy biscuit, invented by Dr. John Abernathy in the 18th century. Uh, it's an adaptation of the plain Captain's Biscuit or hardtack. Okay. Also, notice <laughs> they have a, a caraway seeds inside. Oh, freedictionary.com. Let's see. Define Captain's Biscuit. A type of hard, fancy biscuit. <laughs> I love it when words use words to describe themselves. <laughs> okay, Collins Dictionary. Captain's Biscuit. A type of hard, fancy biscuit. <laughs> Stop saying biscuit oh. to describe a biscuit. Guess what? There's a surgeon's biscuit. <laughs> surgeon's biscuit. Okay. It is. Oh. Ah. Plain captain's biscuit. No. Add sugar. Stop. And caraway seeds. Biscuit. Dictionaries. Nutrition in the form of biscuits is an old idea. <laughs> <laughs> old oh, Father Time himself <laughs> was the idea of a biscuit. Hi, I'm Captain and Biscuit. On, on the seventh day, God rested with a biscuit. Welcome to the Church of Biscuit. <laughs> I am Captain Biscuit, king of the church. I know it's confusing. There are many titles. What am I, you ask? I'm a biscuit. I'm a biscuit by nature. <laughs> I'm a biscuit by nature, but also a but biscuit also, by choice. And also a biscuit by trade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking up the definition of biscuit right now because it just kept saying biscuit. <laughs> he's, a, he's a biscuit by nature, by choice, and, and by, by trade. <laughs> Biscuit. Mm. Biscuit. Noun. North American. A small, Biscuit. typically round <laughs> cake of bread, leavened with baking powder, baking soda, equaling a biscuit. Equaling no. a biscuit. Or sometimes yeast. Traded for biscuits. Definition two. Another term for bisque. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm no sorry. one ever no, says no, 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 biscuit no. to if, describe If someone said to bisque. me, do you want a potato biscuit? And then gave me potato bisque, I would slap them in the face and steal their child. <laughs> Give me that child. You're not fit to raise them. Biscuit. Another term for bisque. That is not true. That's crazy. But what? Definition three, a light brown color. Oh, like biscuit colored. Who says that? Well, anything can be oh, any kind of color. What color is your dress for Drape brown? colored. Biscuit colored. <laughs> First of all. What color is your dress for brown? Mine's purple. Mine's pink. Mine's burgundy. Mine's biscuit. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Myrtle's no. going in the limo with us. <laughs> wow, Do you Myrtle. like my biscuit colored dress? Your dress is so, um, bis- biscuit. Thanks, I bought biscuits in it. <laughs> it's I the bag. I bought it at the American the Biscuit, the biscuit National Biscuit Company. Nabisco. Biscuit. Did you know that Nabisco is a National Biscuit Company? I did not. I only learned that because of a famous court case that I learned about in law school. Uh, National oh. Biscuit Company versus something. It was like a, a old torts case. Hmm. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I, I read the whole thing and I was like, National Biscuit Company, National Biscuit Company, Nabisco, Nabisco. <laughs> and, yeah, it was pretty Nabisco. crazy. Nabisco. This is only slightly related, except that it's not at all. Benadryl and Zequil are the same thing. I'm shocked. Wait, so wait, so Zequil can work as uh, anti, like anti. Zequil is an antihistamine. Wait, really? I'm talking same ingredient, same dosage. Are they the same price? They're the same. I don't know if they should. I I need to go to CVS tonight and check it out. It's fucking. We have been sold a lie. I have both Benadryl and, and Zequil, and all they are is it. An antihistamine. So you know how Benadryl knocks you out? Great. Buy some Zequil. It's the same. Okay, I'm looking at Benadryl right now. Uh, eleven eighty nine for okay. how many tablets? It's a twelve. Uh, it's a twelve cent count. Okay. Z Z Z Quill. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, oh, interesting. It's mostly sold as a gulp gulp. I'm looking at. It. Okay, here we go. Mostly sold as a gulp gulp. Yeah. That's really annoying that they do not give me the uh, per count. So what was the other one? 11 cents? 12. So this is, okay. So this is 48 of them for $13. Math. Okay. So 40, so $13 uh, dollars divided by 48 is. $13 divided by 48 27 cents is calculator. Uh, right? But it's. Uh, I think it really depends on where you're buying it. I just I'm looked it go up on CVS Amazon. Tonight. I just looked at Amazon, right? And I looked for probably could yeah. be different sellers, so it's yeah. hard to say. So I just looked at whatever was the like Amazon Prime right. one. So for that, Zequil is twice the price. Fuck, that's crazy. That. That's crazy. So now I have a giant thing of Zequil, which is fine because I need Benadryl for if I ate a nut. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like, like what a, how that's crazy. What a trick. The pharmaceutical companies companies are bad. Like yeah, I hate to say it. <laughs> Controversial I think, statement. I think they might be evil. Yeah. It breaks my heart to say. I mean, I had a lot of faith in them before. It it's breaks just like my good people. Heart. Good people. I am torn asunder. I love like Honestly, I I had so much faith in in people that commodify healthcare. Yeah, I you know it's just because they're like they're doing it doing for it for good for money, which is for admirable. good money for good money. Mm-hmm. Where were we? Um, oh right, biscuit biscuit. Uh, she faced herself straight in the glass. She pecked at her left shoulder. She issued out the room as if spears were thrown at her yellow dress from all sides. But instead of looking fierce or tragic, as Rose Shaw would have done, Rose would have looked like a bodacia. Bo- bodish- Bodacious. Bod- bod- bodakia? Bodacia? Bodacious, babe. B-O-A-D-I-C-E-A. Bodacia. Yes, you know? theater, theater boy? Boadicea. What? Boadicea. How do you know that? It was in a kid's book I read when I was like nine. You are not reading a child's book. You were reading like... Uh, you were re- you were reading like a, a healthcare pamphlet. Yeah, yeah just it was about stretchy robots. It was a kids book. Just oh, because a child what is, a is holding a book doesn't make it a children's book. <laughs> it was called the Encyclopedia Britannica, Volume Twelve. Oh yeah, kids book, kids book, kids book, kids book. Hold on, there is an Enya song. Oh, she was a queen of the British Celtic tribe. Is this who it is? Yeah, mm. and her daughters. Okay, let's that see. That would make sense contextually. 
Yeah. Why she would use that term. Pronouncenames.com. I love it. I'm right after this. So sorry. <laughs> Pronouncenames.com. Pronouncenames.com. Boudica. I, Boudica. you embarrassed yourself. Wow. Really bad. That was. There's no way that's right. Boudica. Say no, yours you know again. Boada Chain. No, so here's what it is. I think Boudica. Here's my question. Can anyone hear Alec right now? <laughs> a uh, probably a little okay. bit. A little bit. Here's what I would say. It's, oh, yeah. You're, you're the engineer. You would know. I would say. Celtic pronunciation is weird. Um, I really, really. I, I was learning. Um, I was learning. Uh, what's it called? Uh, Celtic. Uh, what's the, is the language Celtic? Gaelic. Gaelic. On. Um, it was very hard on uh, Duolingo, and it like it was so like it did not look like right. what the letters were. I think that's the, the hardest type of language to learn is like when it uses an. Uh, ABC alphabet based. and it's not Latin based because mm-hmm. like for me learning because I started learning Japanese on Duolingo and that's Ooh. completely different so it's like whatever yeah but I've been trying to relearn Vietnamese and then also I was trying to do uh, Gaelic and both are like this letter does not make the sound you think it makes <laughs> so uh, very very strange okay Boudica Rose would have looked like Boudica she looked foolish and self-conscious and simpered like a schoolgirl and slouched across the room, positively slinking as if she were a beaten mongrel and looked at a picture and engraving as if one went to a party to look at a picture. Everyone knew why she did it. It was from shame, from humiliation. We're all been there. Mm. Oh, this um, candy dish is interesting. I'm going to I, stare at it. Oh, what's this? Is that a bee? <laughs> In the house? <laughs> Check that out. Oh my God. Look oh at that. Oh my God, it's a bee. Now the flies in the saucer, she said to herself, right in the middle and can't get out. And the milk, she thought, rigidly staring at the picture, is sticking its wings together. It's so old fashioned, she said to Charles Burt, making him stop, which by itself he hated, on his way to talk to someone else. She meant, or she tried to make herself think that she meant that it was the picture and not her dress that was old fashioned. And one word of praise, one word of affection from Charles would have made it all the difference to her in that moment. If he had only said, Mabel, you're looking charming tonight, it would have changed her life. But then she ought to have been truthful and direct. Charles said nothing of the kind, of course. He was malice itself. He (laughs) always saw through one, especially if one was feeling particularly mean, paltry, or feeble-minded. Mabel's got a new dress, he said. And the poor fly was absolutely shoved into the middle of the saucer. Really, he would like her to drown, she believed. He had no heart, no fundamental kindness, only a veneer of friendliness. Miss Milan was much more real, much kinder. If only one could feel that and stick to it always. Why, she asked herself, replying to Charles, much too pertly, letting him see that she was out of temper or ruffled, as he called it. Rather ruffled, he said, and went on to laugh at her with some woman over there. Why, she asked herself, can't I feel one thing always? feel quite sure that Miss Milan is right and Charles wrong and stick to it. Feel sure about the canary and pity and love and not be whipped all around in a second by coming into a room full of people. Girl, it's okay. This is bipolar. Yeah. Completely. But also, girl, I don't see myself. I get it. We, you, you still want that mean guy 
to say something nice to you. Mm-hmm. He's not gonna say something nice to you. No, he's, he's a mean malice guy. itself. He's malice itself. And Girl. she knows that. She knows, but she but she doesn't know. No, no. you know what I mean. She, you, she knows it, but she can't feel it. Exactly. Yes. It was her odious, weak, vacillating character again, always giving at the critical moment and not being seriously interested in conchology, etymology, botany, archaeology, cutting up potatoes and watching them fructify like Mary Dennis, like Violet Searle. Then Mrs. Holman, seeing her standing there, bore down upon her. Of course, a thing like a dress was beneath Mrs. Holman's notice, with her family always tumbling downstairs or having the scarlet fever. Oh, so, oh. <laughs> okay. Okay, that was out of left field. Could Mabel tell her if Elmthorpe was ever let for August and September? Oh, it was a conversation that bored her unutterably. It made her furious to be treated like a house agent or a messenger boy to be made use of. Not to have value. That was it, she thought, trying to grasp something hard, something real, while she tried to answer sensibly about the bathroom and the south aspect and the hot water to the top of the house. And all the time she could see little bits of her yellow dress in the round looking glass, which made them all the size of boot buttons or tadpoles. And it was amazing to think how much humiliation and agony and self-loathing and effort and passionate ups and downs of feeling were contained in a thing the size of a three-penny bit. And what was still odder, this thing, this Mabel wearing, was separate, quite disconnected. And though Mrs. Holman, the black button, was leaning forward and telling her how her eldest boy had strained his heart running, she could see her, too, quite detached in the looking glass. And it was impossible that the black dot, leaning forward, gesticulating, should make the yellow dot, sitting solitary, self-centered, feel what the black dot was healing, yet they pretended. So impossible to keep the boys quiet. That was the kind of thing one said. And Mrs. Holman, who could never get enough sympathy and snatch what little there was greedily, as if it were her right, but she deserved much more, for there was her little girl who had come down this morning with a swollen knee joint, took this miserable offering and looked at it suspiciously, grudgingly, as if if it were a halfpenny when it ought to have been a pound and put away in her purse, must put up with it, mean and miserly though it was, times being hard, so very hard. And on she went, creaking, injured Mrs. Holman, about the girl with the swollen joints. Ah, It was tragic, this greed, this clamor of human beings, like a row of cormorants, barking and flapping their wings for sympathy. It was tragic. Could could one have felt it and not merely pretended to feel it? But in her yellow dress tonight, she could not wring out one drop more. She wanted it all, all all for herself. She knew, she kept on looking into the glass, dipping into that dreadfully showing up blue pool, that she was condemned, despised, left like this in a backwater, because her being like this, a feeble, vacillating creature, and it seemed to her that the yellow dress was a penance which she had deserved, and if she had been dressed like Rose Shaw, in lovely, clinging green with a ruffle of swans down, she would have deserved that. And she thought that there was no escape for her, none whatever. But it was not her fault altogether, after all. It was being one of a family of ten, never having money enough, always skimping and paring, and her mother carrying great cans and the linoleum worn on the stair edges, and one sordid little domestic tragedy after another. Nothing catastrophic, the sheep farm failing, but not utterly, her eldest brother marrying beneath him, but not very much. There was no romance, nothing extreme about them all. They petered out respectably in seaside resorts. Every watering place had one of her aunts even now asleep in some lodging with the front windows not quite facing the sea. 
That was so like them. They had to squint at things always. And she had done the same. She was just like her aunts. For all her dreams of living in India, married to some hero like Sir Henry Lawrence, some empire builder, still the sight of a native in a turban, filled her with romance. She had failed utterly. She had married Hubert with his safe, permanent underling's job at the law courts. They managed tolerably in a smallish house without proper maids and hash when she was alone or just bread and butter. But now and then, Mrs. Holman was off thinking her the most dried-up, unsympathetic twig she had ever met, absurdly (laughs) dressed, too, and would tell everyone about Mabel's fantastic appearance. Now and then, thought Mabel Waring, left alone on the blue sofa, punching the cushion in order to look occupied. For she would not join Charles Burt and Rose Shaw, chattering like magpies and perhaps laughing at her by the fireplace. Now and then there did come to her delicious moments, reading the other night in bed, for instance, or down by the sea on the sand in the sun at Easter, let her recall it. A great tuft of pale sand grass standing all twisted like a shock of spears against the the sky, which was blue like a smooth china egg, so firm, so hard, and then the melody of the waves, hush, hush, they said, and the children's shouts paddling. Yes, it was a divine moment. And there she lay, she felt, in the hand of the goddess who was the world. Rather a hard-hearted but very beautiful goddess. A little lamb laid on the altar. (laughs) One did think these silly things, and it didn't matter so long as one never said them. (laughs) And also with Hubert sometimes, she had quite unexpectedly carving the mutton for Sunday lunch for no reason, opening a letter, coming into a room, divine moments when she said to herself, for she would never say this to anybody else, this is it, this has happened, this is it. And the other way about it was equally surprising, that is, when everything was arranged. Music, weather, holidays, every reason for happiness was there. Then nothing happened at all. One wasn't happy. It was just flat. Just flat, and that was all. Her wretched self again, no doubt. She had always been a fretful, weak, unsatisfactory mother, a wobbly wife, lolling in about a kind of twilight existence with nothing very clear, very bold, or... One more thing than another, like all her brothers and sisters, except perhaps Herbert, they were all the same poor, water-veined creatures who did nothing. Then in the midst of this creeping, crawling life, suddenly she was on the crest of a wave, that wretched fly. Where had she read that story that kept coming into her mind about the fly in the saucer? Struggled out. Yes, she had those moments. But now that she was 40, they might come more and more seldom. By, By degrees, she would cease to struggle anymore. But that was deplorable. That was not to be endured. That made her feel ashamed of herself. She would go to the London Library tomorrow. She would find some wonderful, helpful, astonishing book, quite by chance. A book by a clergyman, by an American no one had ever heard of. Or she would walk down the Strand and drop, accidentally, into a hall where a miner was telling about life in the pit. And suddenly she would become a new person. She would be absolutely transformed. She would wear a uniform. She would be called Sister Somebody. She would never give a thought to clothes again. And forever after, she would be perfectly clear about Charles Burt and Miss Milan and this room and that room. And it would be always day after day as if she were lying in the sun or carving the mutton. It would be it. So she got up from the blue sofa and the yellow button in the looking glass got up too. And she waved her hand to Charles and Rose to show that that she did not depend on them one scrap. And the yellow button moved out of the looking glass and all the spears were gathered into her breast as she walked toward Mrs. Dalloway and said good night. "'But it's top early to go,' said Mrs. Dalloway, who was always so charming. "'I'm afraid I must,' said Mabel Waring. "'But,' she added in her weak, wobbly voice, which only sounded ridiculous when she tried to strengthen it, 
I have enjoyed myself enormously. I have enjoyed myself, she said to Mrs. Dalloway, whom she met on the stairs. Lies, 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 she said to herself going downstairs. And right in the saucer, she said to herself as she thanked Mrs. Barnett for helping her and wrapped herself round and round and round in the Chinese cloak she had worn these 20 years. Man, that part where she's like imagining like, oh, maybe if I do this thing, that reminded me so much of Shirley Jackson. Yep. Mm-hmm. When she like in Haunting a moment Hill House, lives. Uh, Eleanor. Yeah. When she's like imagining a completely different life. And it's yeah. a very similar characters too. Very. Very um, like lovable and sad characters. I like nearly had to stop reading at one point because I started way over identifying. Oh no. <laughs> because I'm feeling so low. I assume because of my meds, because I'm trying to switch to lithium yeah. from Depakote because I am bipolar. Um, and so I'm like, I'm feeling flat right now. And that's like, you're reading yeah. that, you're like, oh no, this is me. Yeah. How she's, she's talking about like the highs coming from like nothing, just yeah. tiny things. And then when everything is arranged and you think you'd be your happiest, mm-hmm. everything feels flat. Like, her wretched self again, no doubt. She had always been a fretful, weak, unsatisfactory mother. Poor water vein creatures who did nothing. Yet, I was like, I don't think I can keep reading this right now. Oh, no. I'm <laughs> glad that you were able to soldier through. Thank you so much. And you you will soldier through when, the, when you, like, find Thank your you. perfect mix. Yes. It's just... It's just the chemicals. It's hard. Yeah. That's the I just thing. Keep, it's, it's the thing I've said to you before where it's like, I just remind myself that this isn't forever. Yeah. And that's all Even I can though do. It feels like it it's feels not like forever. Maybe. Yeah. I feel, I feel like my flat Mabel wearing self. No. What a good story. That was a really good story. And this you was, guys, I think Virginia Woolf had something. Yeah. You know, I, I think she had it in her. I'm going to check it out. Um, and Alec, this was a listener suggestion mm-hmm. that really great suggestion. Yeah, this is a really you, good listeners. one. Really oh, good. That does remind me. I wanted to say that we, um, will be hanging on to everybody's suggestion because like now and then we might do, uh, another episode on our teen creeps Patreon, which is where this podcast mm-hmm. began. Yeah. Just, you know, as a, if, if we have, Yeah. Very occasionally. Yeah, very yeah. occasionally. And it might live on as, like, we might do live shows in the future, yeah. too. So, so it's not submitting goodbye them. forever. Yes. It's just, we can't do it with this regularity. And it, it's just, we we want to be able to do the best we can. And to do that, this show has to go. Yep. So thank you so much, you guys, for coming with us on this journey. This is not going to be our last one. Yeah. We're going to do one more with Nick Weiger mm-hmm. next week. And that week. will be our 50th episode mm-hmm. to say goodbye <laughs> and um yeah we've we've loved doing this uh journey together um that story was so good that was a really good story it made me want to go like read more of virginia wolf immediately yeah i'm gonna go buy all her books yeah i'm surprised that i haven't read anything of hers yet um i once had an idea for a web series and i'm talking like 10 years ago when mm-hmm. web series were everybody was getting one mm-hmm. um uh, called 
Frida Kahlo and Virginia Woolf are best friends. Mm -hmm. And it was just going to be about them living in modern day Los Angeles. That's cute. Because Bill and Ted brought them here for their project and forgot about them. Yeah. And they got left here. And then they have to figure out, uh, they're trying to, they don't know how to get home. And then the end of season one was going to be somebody just lays the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure VHS on their doorstep. And so it's like this whole big, like, what's real? Wow. (laughs) Mind blown. Yeah, they got left at the mall. Um... But yeah, that's that's this. This is a good one. This is a good one. Thank you to the listener that submitted this. Um, we will see you guys next week. We don't know what we're reading, mm-hmm. but uh, we've enjoyed our time with you. Yeah, thank you for listening. Keep a culture. Forever dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm. Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.